Hello and welcome to another episode of Technical Roundup brought to you by FTX. Today we're speaking about NFTs. We've got an excellent person for this topic. We've got G Money sharing his time with us. He's in charge of Delphi Digital's NFT fund and also a private collector, enthusiast and expert. So Don, this is going to be quite an interesting one for us because normally we speak to, you know, we're on the trading, investing side. Uh, and as practitioners in the space, we, we kind of have that common language with our guests, which means we can push them for like good content and kind of skip past the basics. It kind of feels like this is the complete opposite of, <laughs> of our normal type of show, given we're talking about NFTs. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting one, I think, because I mean, we're going to learn something, I think, and I hope everyone that's listening to it that wants to kind of understand what's going on is going to learn something too. So, yeah, very for excited. sure. Okay, great. I mean, we, we should definitely do an intro for this one. So, G Money, you talk, we talked slightly off air about your background, but sort of who are you and your, you know, how you ended up being where you are would be a super cool intro. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm super excited to be on. Um, yeah, so I guess just a, a, a quick, brief history of me. Uh, I'm in my late 30s. Uh, I've been following the stock market since I was 12 years old. And I originally uh, bought my first stock when I was 14. And I had been in love with the stock market ever since. And the thing that like kind of uh, is relevant for that is like I, when, when I was 14 was the, uh, was the beginning of the dot-com boom. And I bought you know, obviously a bunch of tech stocks. I rode that on the way up. Obviously I didn't sell any of it and rode that all the way on the way down. And, and that was like, obviously a very important lesson that became apparent to me years later uh, when I first found crypto, which happened in 2017. You know, I, I found out about, you know, I, I had heard about Bitcoin and I think the first time I saw Bitcoin was at 27 bucks, but I couldn't figure out how to buy it. And then I watched it run up to a thousand and then uh, it, it collapsed back to 200. And I was like, oh, this is tulips. You know, that was a nice little bubble. But then in, in like May, April of 2017, I saw that the price of Bitcoin was starting to get back above a thousand. And I was like, all right, you know, at, at that point, uh, I was already trading professionally uh, my own account for about 10 years or so. And I know I understanding price action you know, I was like, all right, this is interesting. The fact that this is back up here means something and I should take a look into it. And I found Ethereum and uh, I subsequently uh, partook in the ICO boom, the mid to late cycle of the ICO boom of 2017. But then in 2018, in Q1, I was like, blockchain tech is really good. But using my experience from the dot-com bubble of realizing that, you know, the dot-com bubble was great, but the promises of that bubble, you know, took seven to 10 years for the internet to really develop the way that, you know, we really experience it today. I was, I said to myself, blockchain tech is going to be seven to 10 years out. So I sold anything that was liquid and uh, I just, you know, continued back to, to trading stocks professionally uh, full time while still keeping an eye out on crypto, but just not being super active. And then in, uh, in, March of last year, when Jerome Powell said he was going to print unlimited money and buy everything, that was the first time I bought Bitcoin in about two years, three years, I guess. And uh, I started paying attention to crypto again. I had a couple projects that I had invested in that were, were starting to uh, to unlock. And I saw, I was like, wow, like people, people built stuff very, very quickly. You know, it, it, it took two years to build things as opposed to uh, six 
to 10 years like I had originally thought. And the first time I used Ave, I was like, wow, this is literally a game changer. And I went down the DeFi rabbit hole, like pretty much everybody else. And I was, you know, re relearning everything that um, I had missed during, during my time, time off. And it was in August, late August, early September that I fell down the NFT rabbit hole. And I, I, I had heard about NFTs over the summer, but I was just super busy uh, relearning, you know, going down the rabbit hole on DeFi that I just didn't have the time for it. Like pretty much everybody else. Right. And so, when I found out about NFTs, they immediately made sense to me simply because on the first day of quarantine, I bought a PlayStation. I hadn't played a video game in over 10 years and I ended up downloading Fortnite because I want to hear what, you know, everybody was talking about. I download Fortnite. I start playing Fortnite with my friends and their 12 year old nephews. And the first thing that these kids ask me is what skins did you have? And I'm like, these skins, like, I'm, there's no way I'm buying a skin. This game's free to play. I'm not spending any money on a skin that doesn't give me, like, any extra special powers. But then, you know, like, two or three weeks later, I'm buying any semi-cool skin uh, that, that I can buy. Like, interestingly enough, I, I've been traveling Europe now for the last couple of weeks. And uh, there was a Rick and Morty skin that came out on Fortnite about a month ago. And I knew I wasn't going to have time to play it. So I just paid up to level up to make sure I got the skin. And there, again, there's like no extra utility on it. I just am a huge Rick and Morty fan. But I realized then that these kids, you know, they're 12, he's 12 years old right now, but in 10 years, he's going to have his own disposable income. And he's going to be totally okay with the idea of owning something in a totally pure digital asset, no physical form needed. And so I was like, all right, there's going to be this massive super cycle. I don't know how to take advantage of it, but it's something worth keeping an eye on. And this is before I knew what an NFT was. And then uh, this is becomes pertinent in September when I find out about NFTs. And as I'm spending time on like NFT Twitter, in Discord, on Telegram, I'm realizing that your profile picture is your skin. And the cool thing that you can do with your profile picture is show off one of your NFTs. And generally, the people that were the most knowledgeable and probably, let's say, most successful, uh, especially in the, in the NFT space, generally had crypto punks as their avatars. So as I was going down the NFT space and going down the rabbit hole, I realized I got red pilled on punks and I was like saying to myself, all right, the beautiful thing about this is like, the beautiful thing about NFTs in general is that there's so much convexity in them, right? Because it's like last cycle, uh, at the end of the cycle, people were saying when Lambo, when Lambo. And I was like, saying to myself that at the end of this cycle, we could be living in a world where people would be saying when punks. So to me, like it made so much sense to invest in like punks and other what I thought were triple A NFT projects because of the convexity of the trade, right? Like you're basically buying a call option on Ethereum, right? Because as ETH would go higher um, and people became richer off, off their crypto games, they would be spending that money in terms of crypto as opposed to they would always be spending money in the real world as well. But if you're talking about a digitally native uh, person that spends a lot of their time online, what better way to show it off than, you know, with a picture that you can verify exactly how much I spent on it. Right. Which is kind of uh, the way humans interact and put themselves uh, on in their social circles and, and display social status for better or for worse, but that's just human nature. So that's kind of when, when I realized that, uh, I made, I ended up, I, I ended up buying a punk in December, a zombie. And then I was looking for an ape 
which I ended up buying in early January. And I wrote this long Twitter thread about it that went viral on, on crypto Twitter. And, and that was kind of like the genesis of, of G money and, and how uh, I started making, I guess, a splash in the space. So basically using NFTs as a status symbol, mostly. Uh, yes. Well, I mean, it's just when you think about like the way uh, humans uh, interact, right? It's like humans like to display status, whether for better or worse. So that's just human nature. And just understanding that even though we were being behind a computer, it doesn't change the psychology of how we interact with each other, right? Like, you know, there you, any luxury brand out there, uh, you can buy like a pair of Gucci loafers for whatever, $500, $700 it costs them probably under $50 to make. So, you know, what, what you don't get any extra utility out of buying a higher, a higher price or a luxury item, but it does say something about you to the, to your peer group. If you own a designer designer brand, as opposed to a non-designer brand. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And again, the analogies with video games, I mean, Fortnite, the CSGO skins also, these are like huge multi, multi-billion dollar industries. And so most people's familiarity with NFTs comes via analogy with where they've seen them before, video games being a big example. If we take a step back and just the term itself, NFT, non-fungible token, I mean, crypto natives will be obviously aware of tokens, uh, but then the non-fungible bit might be new, confusing or worth defining. So if we go all the way back to step one, um, what is a non-fungible token? Specifically, what you know, what are the properties of non-fungibility? What does it actually mean? Cool. Yeah. So the best way uh, I describe it that I think helps the most people understand it is if you own one Bitcoin and I own one Bitcoin and we exchange Bitcoins, we both have the same amount of value. And that's the same thing for like a US dollar or a pound or, or whatever currency. But if you own a t-shirt and I'm wearing a t-shirt, if we exchange t-shirts, we don't necessarily have the same value, right? Because it could, the difference is in who makes it, what's it made of, you know, are there holes in it? What's the wear and tear? So that's, that describes the non-fungible aspect of it, right? Is that we could both be wearing shirts, but they aren't necessarily worth the same amount. And that goes for anything, right? So it's like everything in the world is a non-fungible token because everything in the world, like at, at some point has some sort of alteration that happens to it that could change the value for better or worse. And that's kind of the best way that like when I when I realized that like it was kind of like a light bulb that went off that's like okay cool that that really helped me conceptualize what an NFT is. It's like hey like a house is an NFT, a mortgage is an NFT, uh, a contract is an NFT. So when you when you think of it in that terms, it makes it a lot easier to digest from a totally digital aspect. Okay, so I mean, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um in general, like I've been, I've been struggling around the NFT um, kind of concept myself because, I mean, just as like a background thing, like whenever I play a game, I never buy the skins. I never like buy like um, expensive art, any of that sort. Never been into it. But I kind of it makes sense to me from like a collector's kind of position. Um, but do you think there's other kind of ways? to use NFTs? Do you think there's just this use case of, okay, showing off or collecting, or do you think there's more to it? The thing that, the thing that makes me so bullish on NFTs is that I, I think if you're going to be bullish on, uh, let's say a digital future, and if that digital future will be decentralized through, through blockchain, you have to be bullish on NFTs because as more things will come on chain, 
they will all come on chain as NFTs, right? So uh, with regards to where do I, like, I think, because I think everything is an NFT and I think as more things come on chain, I'm super bullish on them. One example to your point uh, that that I did because I'm always trying to just push push the edge of what are we doing with NFTs? How do we move the space forward? Is there, I, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but last Friday, uh, Gary V bought an ape, another ape, uh, CryptoPunk ape, another ape got bought within like, I think an hour or two, two zombies got bought and then somebody swept the floor for a hundred punks. And so what ended up happening was there's obviously a ton of demand, like people are FOMOing into things. I have uh, about 8% of a uh, sharded uh, ape that's trading on Niftex. And I had people earlier in the week reaching out to me, telling me that they had expressed interest in buying that ape. And obviously after uh, those other apes got swept, uh, they, they, are, they started reaching out to me like, hey, like, I'd like to buy the position at like a higher percentage or at a, at a higher amount. So what I ended up doing was I took my ERC-20 tokens, which represents uh, about 8.5% of the uh, sharded ape. I put them into a NFT wrapper uh, that is uh, on the charge particles protocol so that that position could be represented by the NFT. And then what I did was I listed it on OpenSea as a Dutch auction, uh, starting from a really high price to a lower price to see if somebody would be interested in buying out that position because technically my position is an NFT, right? Like because I own eight and a half percent, not everybody, everybody owns a differing amount, but I was willing to sell my eight and a half percent as a block trade. You know, it's basically a structured product uh, that was representative of my ERC 20 position, but it's an NFT and like, you know, was easily transferable, right? As opposed to necessarily having to do like an OTC deal and work on an escrow and stuff like that. So I, I do think that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of thing like I think collectibles and art is just scratching the surface but I really do think that you know you take a look at structured products in traditional finance and you know that's probably bigger than like equity markets right like the bond markets and and all the esoteric stuff that gets done that stuff as it comes on chain like is going to be great right because it's like you're gonna you're gonna be able to 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 not have to deal with all the like the financial meltdown of recollateralizing loans and, and all this this scary stuff that basically bought, brought the financial economic system to the brink back in 2007, 2008. And now if we can see stuff on chain, you can kind of see in real time uh, with real marks uh, what, what's happening, right? And like that to me is like super interesting. It starts with, with the art and the collectibles because you're obviously not gonna bring trillions of dollars on chain uh, on, an untested, on an untested protocol, right? Like it's gonna start small. And like we see that with DeFi, right? where the, D, the TVL starts off really small. And as over time, people become more comfortable, more assets, more TVL comes on chain. And I, I think you're gonna see the same thing with NFTs. Uh, as the protocols prove themselves, we're just gonna get more and more valuable stuff coming on chain. So essentially, um, if, if, I, if I had to try to summarize that potential use case, it's, a set, it's some form of verifiable fractionalization of uh, property rights or some sort of equity interest uh, and that nft wrapping process is um you know verifiable and much easier and more efficient than the whole custody broker middleman type of um arrangement is that broadly correct yeah i mean i just yeah it, exactly right like i think that nfts kind of give us digital property rights and a way to transfer them uh 
obviously electronically with no middlemen and no centralized database. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I think I th I th I'd very much like uh, the argument that art is just obviously kind of all the collecting is the um, low hanging fruit, if you will. And then the more, but it creates this network effect, which then opens people's eyes towards more sophisticated use cases. Is that broadly the direction you see the market heading with? So art is just the starting point uh, and then yeah. the real use cases emerge a bit later. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think art, there definitely is a real use case there, right? We've seen, I think, a really fast and quick disruption of the art market. But again, like I think that you, to, to think that it's just art or collectibles is a very narrow view of it, right? Uh, like I could see a world, you know, whether it's five years from now or 20 years from now, your guess is as good as mine, but where we have mortgages on chain and then we have regionalized CMBS indexes uh, on chain that are fractionalized versions of all these NFTs, right? Like that's just like a long-term view, right? Cause a mortgage is an NFT. So it's like, you can be, you can be as, as um, uh, you can be as, a, you can use your imagination as much as you want, right? Like it's, if you have an idea and you can bring it on chain. I think NFTs really provide you with uh, a lot more optionality than like your just regular ERC twenty type token does. Yeah, yeah, that makes like one obstacle that comes to mind, which we've discussed with guests when talking about DeFi, is that the creative use cases for tokens are limited by virtue of a lack of recourse to real assets slash the legal system. Uh, which is why crypto is so generally over collateralized and so on and so forth, because uh, there's that breaker where you, you know, you can't if the legal system doesn't recognize these structures or if, you know, as, as a lender, you've got no recourse to them, your risk management or, you know, lending policies are going to look completely different. Do you think this current limitation is a a permanent one or b just applicable to NFTs as well? So talking about mortgages and property rights in the real world, do they need to kind of break that threshold and create a link between digital assets and then something recognized by the legal system? Yeah, I, I think. I, I think that at some point we're going to see them linked together and you're probably going to have, you know, like as I've thought about, let's say mortgages, it's like at, at least for now, you need some sort of like trusted source that can like, you know, if I'm if we have if we're trading an NFT of a mortgage, there has to be some source that almost like, you know, like a bank that's like we guarantee that this mortgage like this mortgage is backed by this asset in the real world. Right. I think over time we'll probably end up getting some sort of automated smart contract uh, feature that uh, will have it linked much quicker and without some sort of middleman. But I think it's kind of be like in stages, right? Like it's, we're going to go from, you know, fully physical, which was, you know, 50 years ago, and we're just getting more digitized slowly over time. And obviously technology moves much quicker than bureaucracy. So we just need time for the legal system and the legislative system to catch up. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, going back to the art, um, do you think that in general, like, because you talked about like the NFT space growing over time and the art space kind of just being the start of it all, do you think like the current projects, like as the first movers, are kind of like a bet of the NFTs in general? Like if the NFT system or like the NFT whatever you want to call it, the NFT world just grows and grows, the first ones are just going to be valuable and that's why like we see punks and stuff like it appreciate so much why do you think it's like yeah looting so, so so big yeah so part of my thesis of why i like punks why i liked art blocks why i like 
uh, avastars like all these like uh, tier one uh first generation projects is that especially at the time like a year ago we the nfts were just weren't even on on the map it wasn't even on the discussion so i said to myself hey okay if i look into the future and i think of maybe 50 or 100 years from now what what are the odds that there is a uh, NFT crypto art wing uh, at the MoMA or at any major museum around the world? And I said, I think I think that would be that could be pretty high. Uh, if if there were to be that kind of wing at that museum, what would be in there? And at the top of that list to me was CryptoPunks, right? Like I, I, I had seen just the way the community had grown organically, that uh, people were just really passionate about it. Like when I first got into NFTs, I like it took me like another two or three months before I even started considering CryptoPunks because I wanted to find the next CryptoPunks. Like pretty much, I mean, I see that journey with pretty much everyone that comes into the space where they're like, oh, like, I, I you know, punks are too expensive. And when, when I got into the space, I think the floor of a of a CryptoPunk was maybe somewhere between $700 and $1,200. And, you know, I was like, that's too expensive. I, I want to find the next punks. And, and it wasn't until like a couple months of, of going around being like, CryptoPunks are it, right? Like they're, they're not the first uh, NFT on Ethereum, but they are one of the first and they had a really organic community grow around them. They had a passionate group of people that were uh, their advocates. And, you know, like I remember when I first went into the Punks Discord, everyone wanted to help me. Everyone was super helpful. Uh, and, and they helped, they helped, they were kind. Like I, I felt like, um, people, I was felt like I was being welcomed into a family I didn't know I had. And so to me, one of those things is, you know, you, you see that in the community now. And that to me is like a bet. I, I think now we're at a point where if, if let's say NFTs are a flash in the pan and, and they lose relevance somehow within the next, uh, 24 months or whatever, uh, I still think that they made enough of an impact on art history that they will be sought after as uh, artifacts of art history and digital and crypto art in the future. But I, I think at this point, like it's we've we've hit mass velocity, escape velocity, and like they're here to stay. So you want to be buying, you know, there, there's only ten thousand crypto punks. There's seven, eight billion people in the world. You know, you do the math, right? Like there's only there can only ever be at most 10,000 people that ever own a crypto punk. Yeah, I, I find the punks kind of essentially network first mover effect argument to be super interesting. Um, very much on the art side, and that kind of raises the question in terms of NFTs more broadly, as, as early as it may be. Do you have kind of different mental categories for NFT owners? So recently, a lot of people have just been straight up trading them, right? Like you would anything else, straight up flipping them or buying the floor or sniping um, on certain discounts, so on and so forth. So is it helpful to have like mental categories of, you know, NFT traders, NFT investors, NFT collectors? Uh, is that a framework that's useful? Yeah, you know, it, it definitely is, right? Because you having an idea of what's a, what a person, how they view the market and what their holding period is, right? Like, you know, if, if I were to listen to advice from Warren Buffett, it'd be very different than the advice I listened to from uh, Stevie Cohen, right? Like it's, these guys are just, you know, they're both really good, but they both have very different models for how they look at the, the world and the market. So I, I think that that the same thing happens in the NFT space, right? Like there's some people that, you know, will buy every project and, and flip them and, and, and sell them just a little bit higher, you know, make some, some 
either some percentage or a couple a couple turns on their money but there's some people that are like i'm buying this and i'm never selling this right like you you have the whole gamut uh so i think it, it does make sense to categorize people into into different categories so that when you do uh listen to them talking or or, or see them tweeting something you understand a little bit more of, of how they see the world yeah no i mean that's always important right it's it's something that i tend to like try to say as often as I can with my content too, right? Because as a trader, I behave very, very differently than like an investor in, in the space. Um, mm -hmm. In general, um, do you see any other, like any other um, L1s kind of take market share um, from ETH or do you think it's just going to be ETH centric in general, like the NFT movement? Um, I think it's too early to tell. Uh, I think you have to see probably like do L ones, which L ones win in general. Uh, I, I think I don't know enough about the different texts to know which one I think will win. What I do know is that if I were to be spending, you know, five to $10,000 on a piece of art or a collectible, I would prefer it to be on Ethereum than on any other chain, at least for the time being. And I'm okay with not being first onto other chains. Like, I don't get me wrong. Like, I, I do own a bunch of Top Shot. Uh, I, I love that project. And I do love how, what it did for helping NFTs go mainstream and helping the broader, the broader uh, population understand it. But, you know, with regards to uh, other L1s, I've, I haven't really seen a project yet where I'm like, I have to, you know, I have to go on there and I have to buy this, right? Yeah. For me, for the most part, I've been tr I've been sticking to Ethereum just because the projects I like the most are on there, and you know it it might have the network effect and the first mover advantage by now, where it's like you know if I'm gonna come on like Tom Sachs uh, did a drop last week uh, called Rocket Factory, and I thought you know he's a very big major contemporary artist. He's he has his stuff shown at pretty much every major museum throughout the world. And he came and did his drop on Ethereum as opposed to maybe some L2 or a competing L1. And I think part of it is because of the provenance of, you know, if you are an elite artist selling your stuff for uh, a high amount, generally whether the transaction cost is $5 or, you know, $500, it generally won't deter uh, your top tier collector. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, in general, I think it's just like, trading bitcoin trading all coins right i mean you have like the the first mover in bitcoin so you can be reasonably certain that it's going to stick around and i think that's probably going to be the same kind of situation with like nfts and other chains where it's like they might work and they might like kind of get get bigger at as time goes on but like the first mover is probably always going to stick around at least for the next few years so I agree, right. agree with you on that. Uh, you mentioned uh, Top Shot and something I've heard about Top Shot is like that they've had, I mean, Top Shot started out as pretty much the most kind of like with the most retail kind of appeal, right? A lot of people got into it that weren't even into crypto. And then the people behind Top Shot kind of started like inflating the project a little bit. That's at least what I heard. And I, I'm more than happy to kind of be corrected on this. Um, do you think that's in general a problem that could appear where it's just like people just keep on making more? Or do you think 
in general, like that's just a fringe case. Um, I so I think that like you're gonna go through like fits and starts with with everybody, right? Like everybody's gonna be learning. Uh, when like I I bought a lot of the ser- the first series, series one, and uh, I did not really participate that much in the subsequent series because I felt that there were like a lot of cards that were being printed, and to me like that just didn't make sense from a collector's point of view. But that like so I I grew up collecting baseball cards in the late eighties, early nineties. And I, you know, I was an avid collector as pretty much any kid is. And it's funny because with this baseball card and sports card boom, that's been going on for the last couple of years, I would go like so every once in a while I'll go online and I'll check to see, Oh, you know, how much is like my Ken Griffey junior rookie card worth. And the, the problem that happened with the baseball card industry in like between like 1989 to 1992, which just so happened to be also the prime era where I was collecting cards the most is that they just printed so many cards. So those cards are all pretty worthless, right? Because they were just, they were just keeping up with demand, but uh, from a historical and collector and uh, long-term store of value point of view, those cards end up being the worst, even though that they were just feeding into the demand at the time. So I, I think that like, you know, they'll probably, you know, at the beginning, because it was in beta testing, obviously the runs were really small because the community was small, but as the community is going to get bigger over time, you know, they printed more and maybe, maybe five, 10 years from now that the numbers printed in the series now could be minuscule compared to what's printed in the future. Right. As the, as the TAM is, is much bigger. I don't know enough about what's going on uh, on the executive team to, to see, to have an idea of where they're going and what, what their view of the market is. But I'm I'm pretty sure if they overprinted, then you'll probably see uh, a reversion to mean where they underprint and they find they start finding that happy balance, right? But I think it's it's really hard when something's growing so fast so quickly to figure out the exact supply demand balance and what that number is. Yeah, I really like that point. I think it's an important consideration and reminder that even the the biggest projects, so-called blue chips, whatever, are still very new and relatively early to that. That said, you know, if someone accepts the base thesis for NFTs in one form or another in any use case, right, whether it's just art and collecting it or the more sophisticated versions we spoke about uh, earlier on, um, and, you know, let's say someone's it's piqued their interest and they want to get involved, so to speak, in the NFT space. I guess it's a two-part question. One, if we take the investor-trader type of route, how does one get broad NFT ecosystem exposure? Are there like good options in terms of tokens, indices, uh, or do you just have to buy the punks floor? Uh, and the second question, slightly more benign and less kind of tradery, if someone's just interested in NFTs and not so much like for profit, for trading, whatever, but just have an interest in the vision that you laid out, for example, um, how slash where do they get started? Is it some discords to join, something to read? You know, how, what, what does the start of the journey look like? Okay. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, if I were, you know, it, it, it's funny because obviously just like in everywhere in crypto, the NFT space moves so quickly. Uh, the first Discord I would jump into would be uh, the Larva Labs Discord, the Punks Discord. That's, you know, a lot of, it's almost like town square of NFTs, I would say. Uh, another Discord that I think is, has been really good and popping is Artblocks. And that uh, I, I've heard from a lot of like OGs uh, from, you know, that, that collected Punks that Artblocks, the Artblocks Discord right now reminds them of Punks Discord a couple of years ago. Uh, so I, I would say one, uh, 
go into discords. If you find a new project or so, somebody mentioned something, go into that discord, just learn as much as you can and, and just talk to people. Uh, people are really, really open. You know, you can DM somebody on discord. Uh, if you have a question on something, uh, Twitter, obviously you can follow people on Twitter and, uh, with regards to, with regards to investing and, and if people wanted broad exposure, obviously the punk floor is whatever it is right now, seventy, eighty thousand $80,000 for one. And obviously not everybody has that portfolio size. So what, one good way to do it is uh, buying fractionalized, uh, per, fractionalized tokens in punks. Uh, there, there's a bunch of fractionalized uh, platforms out there. I mentioned Niftex earlier. Uniquely is another one. Fractional is another one. Uh, NFTX is one that has basically like an index. It's not necessarily fractionalized. It's a little different, but that these all kind of give you uh, a ways to get broad exposure uh, in in different NFTs that that you can pick and choose, and you kind of have to do your work uh, on them. So I think that that's one that's one good way to do it. Another good way to do it is actually to to invest in in these in these tokens, uh, which are basically providing the infrastructure for NFTs themselves. So it's like, if you aren't, um, if you aren't that confident in your ability to pick uh, winners in an NFT project, uh, because again, a lot of it comes down to culture and taste, uh, you could just buy the picks and shovels, right? Like you can buy the infrastructure uh, that allows uh, for these things to happen. And, and that was part of the reason why I started the, the NFT fund with Delphi Digital is because to me is I know that in order for the NFT ecosystem to thrive, that a lot of infrastructure needs to get built, much like we saw in DeFi last year for the last couple of years that uh, started to really culminate last year. Uh, we're going to see the same thing, in my opinion, in NFTs going forward. So, you know, as you're, I, I think r right now is almost like the calm before the storm, but I think we're going to start seeing a lot of like, NFT projects come to market and, you know, infrastructure and protocol layers that are going to allow for NFTs to thrive. And that would be a good way to get broad exposure to the ecosystem as well. That's, that's an awesome, very complete answer. Well, we'll, we will be sure to leave the appropriate links for our audience in the description. Mm -hmm. um, as the infrastructure, you know, as you mentioned, gets built out and the degree of sophistication rises, you generally expect usage and different and even new use cases we can't think of now to emerge as a result, right? And the interesting, interesting thing I find about crypto as well is that even if you have use cases that don't work, uh, they can quick, very quickly start working if there's a market appetite for them, with decentralized exchanges being like a great example of this, right? Ether Delta, Crypto Bridge, like all crap, uh, and now DEX trading and Uniswap, et cetera, it's like a significant part of the ecosystem. Uh, with that in mind, uh, you know, just in terms of a short list, we have art and collector's items, very popular now. Um, fractionalization of assets becoming increasingly popular as well. Uh, blockchain gaming uh, has seen like a lot of attention and the, the role NFTs can have there in those in-game items has uh, also been on everyone's radar. Um, do you think there are kind of, could you, could you, do you think there's like a list of blue chip use cases if there is such a thing for NFTs right now? Is, are those like the top three or do you think we're missing anything really obvious? So I think that, um, you know, we have art, we have collectibles. And right now I think we're going to see the rise of gaming uh, really, really take center stage. I think with the success that Axie has had uh, and uh, not just the success from like uh, a financial perspective, but also from the success of changing people's lives in, in countries with, that wouldn't, that would otherwise be suffering and struggling at this moment. 
what comes next really is your, any, but your guess is as good as mine. I could, I have maybe a thought or two of where, what I think it could be, but to be honest, I really don't know uh, because it could just be something where somebody just like, to your point is somebody just tweaks something a little bit and all of a sudden like, boom, we find product market fit for something we didn't realize we needed product market fit for. So I, it's just, I think it's just creativity. And as people think of, of cool new use cases, um, it's going to like, I, I'm a firm believer that like, if you take a look at the growth of Facebook and the rise of social media in the last 20 years, uh, if you were to play this simulation over a uh, hundred different times, I think the way we get to our today's Facebook or whatever social media giant would be out there, it, it happened a hundred different ways because I think it was just, you know, a combination of randomness and the, the right things happening at the right time. And I think the same thing happens with crypto even more because it moves so much faster. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy to see, like, um, we had, for example, the punks, right? They, they kind of like went up a shitload and then calmed down and barely anyone, at least in the kind of, in the mainstream of crypto Twitter, um, talked about them anymore. They kind of like retraced quite a bit of their move and then ballooned and went crazy again. Um, it's just kind of how crypto works, right? You, you get these crazy runs, everyone is excited. And then the moment anything goes back down, people are like, okay, a nice bubble. And I mean, we, we all have gone through that, right? That's kind of like how, how pretty much everyone's crypto journey is. Like you start buying, it goes up, um, it goes back down and you're like, fuck, <laughs> did I buy the bubble? Mm -hmm. Um, so like with that said, do you think right now we're in like a bubble given that crypto punks like sell for 100,000, 200,000, sometimes more, or do you think that's just, uh, like they're finally getting to where they should be priced? Well, so, you know, I was in Paris for ECC two weeks ago and, uh, I went shopping on Saturday after like the, the, the Saturday after the conference. And I was, as I was walking around, uh, I developed, you know, I, I swept the floor, uh, subsequently a couple of days later, I swept the floor of punks because of that. And the reason why was because I'm walking around and I'm, I'm in Champs-Élysées and I walk past Louis Vuitton and there's a line down the block. I walk into a couple watch stores and they tell me there's a 10 year wait for watches. And to me, it's, it's not necessarily a function of, is there a bubble in NFTs is is there a bubble in everything, right? Like, where do you think rates are going uh, on a global macro level, right? Like so much money has been printed in the last tw 12 months, 15 months. And that money is, is seeking out hard assets, what it, whatever hard assets they are, whether it's a car, a house, uh, jewelry, luxury, luxury real estate, uh, NFTs, Bitcoin, right? All these things uh, to me, it's, there it's if there's a bubble it's not uh specific just to nfts we're, we're talking about an everything bubble and and that to me uh is part of like my thesis for nfts in general is that if if i at, at the end of the day anybody that's long any risk asset in the world is short rates so if i'm if we're all going to be putting on the same trade of being short rates i want to have the i want to be long the asset that has the highest convexity right and why do i think nfts have the highest convexity is because it's generally the smallest market where you can probably get uh, the biggest and largest uh, liquid position, relatively liquid position on no matter who you are. Uh, and, and two is like every incremental dollar um, is, it means that much more to like something in the NFT market as opposed to the S and P 500. 
So to me, it's like, do I think NFTs are in a bubble? Like they could be overextended here a little bit, but I am a firm believer in NFTs long-term. And if central banks around the world are going to keep printing money, uh, I, I'm okay with holding a, a high value asset that won't be, that is highly sought after that they won't be making more of at any time soon or ever. Yeah, I think that the, the macro implications are really interesting. Um, DeFi was similar in that at a certain point, I mean, you know, DeFi's growth has been absolutely phenomenal, but it had its own mini bubbles along the way. Uh, and one of the symptoms, you know, like of that mini bubble was when you just had started having clone copycat, you know, straight ripoff, if you will, projects with with nothing special copy paste on another chain or you know slight alterations whatever it is and uh, you know with DeFi we had that in food tokens and some are now making the analogy uh, with a lot of nft projects uh, going down the same road and uh, on top of seeing like a rock go for 70 eth this morning <laughs> do you find it compelling to the you know the macro trade is clear but there will be these micro cycles within the nft space when when things get a bit too hot Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I, I will say, I do think like something that's a little different about NFTs than, than let's say DeFi is the, the personality and, and you feeling connected to something you own. Right. Cause like, you know, I, I was a DeFi farmer, although not the most successful one last summer. And if, you know, if there was a copycat clone project that came out that had a higher APY, you know, I was, there was, there was literally I'd leave in a second, right? Like I would go over to the new project without thinking twice. But if there's a copycat clone project, and you've seen this a ton of times now with Ponce where, uh, you know, first there were like like huge ripoffs on, on Ponce. And, and then there were obviously people coming up with the same 10,000 profile picture projects kind of like every other day. But the difference is, right, like I could feel a little more connected to my picture of an ape or my picture of a duck or, or a cat or whatever, because, you know, there's something that I like about it that's special to me. Whereas you don't necessarily feel that with a, with a, uh, with a, uh, a DeFi project, right? Cause at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what your, your ROI is. So I, I think that that, um, has, has been a, a little hiccup in it, right. In the sense that, uh, I think it changes the dynamic of it a little bit because you feel a little more, attached to certain things uh, because uh, for whatever reason, whether you like the art or you like the specific one that you have, or you like the community. Uh, I, I do think to your point is like, we will definitely be going through little bubbles here and there. And like, you see it when things heat up and, and things cool down. But like with regards to the drawdowns to bring to, to, to push the point you had earlier about, about punks is that the really interesting thing is you have people buying these assets that are that are pretty rare uh, that on a pullback, because I think I personally thought NFTs fared very well compared to to crypto in general when we had that market implosion in, in May. And part of it is because you're, it's going to be one of the last things you sell if you need liquidity, right? Like you're going to sell it only if you absolutely need it because, you know, it's going to be almost impossible to buy back let alone buy back, you're not guaranteed that you can buy it back at a lower price. So when it comes to like these, especially like you look at high tier punks, and I think you're probably going to see it happening with punks on a general level uh, in the future, is that 
you know, if, if I if I need for cash, I would much rather sell a liquid ERC twenty token and uh, an illiquid uh, punk or other NFT would probably be one of the last things I sell. Right? Like I I used this analogy the other day uh, when I was chatting with a buddy of mine, where it's like, you know, in the last hundred and fifty years, obviously there's been a lot of war and a lot of a lot of bad things happening in the world and a lot of relocations of family and wealth. Uh, especially throughout throughout continental Europe. And like, you know, we all know the stories of like the Fabergé eggs that were from a royal family. I think it was a Russian royal family, but these these Fabergé eggs are some of the most sought after things in the world that these families, it was like they could have lost everything, but they were keeping that Fabergé egg because they knew how priceless it was. And I think we could be seeing a move towards that over the long term where you know, hey, this is a really special NFT to me. I understand it's something special. It is the last thing that I'm going to sell. I will only sell it if I absolutely need to sell it, not, not, and not a second before then, which to me like kind of changes the dynamic of the whole market, right? Because the game theory really changes a lot because of that. Yeah, I really like the um, implied stronger hands argument, especially by virtue of like a personal connection but don i think you, you know you and i were discussing uh, liquidity of the market before the show do you have an angle there yeah um, it's something that you actually mentioned earlier where you said okay um if prices go up right people are, have more money to spend and then they're gonna be more happy to kind of spend it back in the ecosystem do you not think that if that kind of turns around and prices go lower that that appetite is gonna shrink and like they're just gonna behave like leverage. Um, I mean, I know that you kind of said the opposite, but why, like, why this stark difference on the up and downside? Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that if we go into a sustained bear market, uh, you'll probably see prices correct to the downside because I think nothing will correct in equilibrium, right? We we will move, we'll overextend to the upside and we'll overextend to the downside. So I definitely think that that's. Uh, a, a strong possibility but i like i said is like i was just saying just now is that i think that uh because of the nature of some of these assets and because of the strength of hands of some of these assets that it would be like like i take a look at some of my assets and I, there obviously there's certain assets i would sell but some of them i'm like i'm holding this until like my ape you know i hope i never need to sell my ape and you know, that it's passed down like as a family heirloom for generation to generation. Right. And I'm sure I'm not the only person that thinks that way. So I, I do think that we will probably see overextension on, on both sides. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think that NFTs will outperform uh, the base ETH or, or BTC on all time frames forever. But I do think that as long as you're going to, if you're going to be bullish on crypto, you have to be bullish on NFTs. And I, I think that that's a bet that, I'm willing to make every every time as long as I want to be bullish on crypto. Yeah, I like that. With regards to liquidity in general, do you think like, let's say we do see like a pullback or like any kind of market turbulence, do you think the liquidity is going to kind of focus on the stuff that is near and dear to people? Like you said, you and your punks, you wouldn't really want to part. But like, let's say you have another project that isn't really as important, like a smaller one. Do you think those would go first? Because that's kind of my my stance, right? Like if the NFT market kind of pulls back, I think there's a good chance that the high quality stuff is going to 
kind of stick around and the lower quality stuff is just going to go basically to zero and then you're going to be stuck holding something that you cannot get out of if you if you even even if you wanted to yeah no i i totally agree with you i that's why i think that uh i try to focus only on like what i consider like triple a like high tier assets because you know i don't want to have to be worried about you know my my asset re-rating to zero and or you know going down 90 percent, right like i'm okay with the drawdown this is crypto this is part of the game but you know as long as as like i can feel comfortable with owning something long term uh and like there's a couple projects besides punks that that fall in that but you know it's like would you know the the pet rock drop that came today survive long term i don't know uh and you know if i if i wanted to take a stab at it like you know i'd be taking a stab at it for really small i wouldn't put a, a significant portion of my portfolio into it yeah i actually really like that perspective you know when i very rarely shill crypto to my family or like talk to friends about it usually under duress um <laughs> you know the discussion i have is you, know, you want to hold you want like a balanced portfolio mostly like bitcoin and ETH. then you can take some smaller sort of shitcoin bets or other layer ones as like single digit percentages but i think it's you know i can see us moving towards a world where you hold some bitcoin you hold some ETH, and then maybe some nfts or a fraction of like a blue chip if it's really expensive by then uh, i could definitely see that one concern though that people have with um making you know nft blue chips and the, the whole valuation side of things is claims about uh wash trading money laundering and so on and so forth right that you know the valuations and the prices and the trading that you see um even in the blue chips isn't quote unquote real uh is this overstated is there a way of kind of checking um whether it's real market activity or not where do you fall on this debate generally uh i mean i like I, I guess I generally track the volume mostly of punks and a couple other projects, um, like MeBits and and some other ones. And I, when I see these these high numbers on the board, uh, I can gen I generally know at least one side of the equation. So, you know, I haven't personally seen blue wash trading, um, or if I have seen it, uh, I never picked up on it. I think when uh, I first got into the space and I people were saying wash trading all the time because there was less volume. But I think that, I, I mean, anybody that says that there's wash trading in punks at this point, like, I mean, you're just, you're, you're, you're lying to yourself, right? Like there's been so much volume at this point that it, and like a lot of like real demand. And, you know, last week, I knew like five or six buyers that were trying to buy apes and two of them went off at like, you know, successively higher prices and the people that the other four were left, like, you know, like, Oh my God, like they're, they're scrambling to like try to buy one. Right. Or they have to go down and buy a zombie. So to me, like the, the wash trading, I, I kind of ignore it. I'm sure it happens. It happens. I, I'm sure it happens in every industry, whether it's crypto or not around the world. Um, you know, and the people that do it are, are obviously very they know what they're doing i i just think that there's enough volume that to me it's like to me it's real and i i think we've seen it with like with the sustained moves in a lot of these nft projects yeah i mean i i kind of see that i i, I mean i honestly like there's something that happens all the time when people are like they don't really understand something and then they assume ill intentions right we have it in crypto all the time and I mean, for mm -hmm. good reason, because 
I mean, that's kind of where we came from, right? A bunch of pump and dumps and a bunch of like very shady stuff. But nowadays, I think like it's widely overstated how much of that kind of stuff is happening still, um, at least in comparison to the volume that we do have. Um, but going back into like, what can a beginner do if he wants to kind of move in the market? Like what's, what tools do they need to use? What data do they need to look at? Um, what kind of sites do they go to or should they go to exchanges? Any of that, that you could kind of help people with? To yeah, like started? a morning routine slash market at a glance type of tool would be super cool, I think, for our audience. Um, okay, cool. So I'd say first thing I do usually every day is I check Twitter. Uh, I scroll down a little bit. Um, you know, I spend maybe five or ten minutes on Twitter looking at, at stuff, what people are talking about. Then I'll go into a couple different discords, uh, chat with people. And, and obviously at the same time, I'm checking my DMs as people are, are just reaching out to me on, on different projects and stuff like that. But like, yeah, I think for the most part, Twitter and Discord is really where NFTs live. And so you want to be on those like other sites that I would say is uh, OpenSea, obviously to, to see people's wallets and to kind of see collections. Um, uh, cryptoslam.io is where you can go to see volume uh, across across a bunch of different projects. Uh, Rarity tools is something people use. Uh, Degen data, uh, I think it's degendata.io. Uh, but yeah, like it's I, there's like a lot of different. Uh, I think there's more and more tools coming out every day uh, to be able to look at things from like a m more quantitative approach because at the moment a lot of it's been qualitative, uh, and I think over time, it's going to be more quantified, if that makes sense. And I think that, uh, yeah, like to me, where I see the most alpha right now is Twitter, though. You know, if you're following the right people and, you know, you're getting into projects early, uh, you're you're going to, you know, you're, you're not. The cool thing I get, I think what a lot of people find refreshing as well is uh, at the moment, you're not trading against your your quants, like your three ACs, your, your FTXs that, you know, can can out trade you and are faster than you and, you know, have all this quantitative data on the market, right? Like a lot of it is is still uh, in its infancy because one, maybe the market's not big enough for, for quants to focus on it just yet, but I'm, I'm sure they will at some point. But I, I think like that's like an extra edge that you have there, right? Like you're not giving up any alpha on, on somebody kind of to trade against you or, or front run you or whatever. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's a very complete answer. And overall, I'm just, you know, first of all, very grateful for your time. Uh, but I'm particularly pleased with the amount of specifics we managed to pull out of you, both with <laughs> projects, tools, use cases. It's It's been very refreshing. And I've learned a lot. So thank you very much for that. I'm sure our audience will appreciate it as well. Um, but unless you've got any final comments or remarks, that's it for this week's technical roundup. Our trader audience is now much better equipped to navigate the NFT landscape than they were an hour ago. And that's all from us at Technical Roundup, and we'll see you for the next one. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, guys.